The second lesson and sermon text is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There are good times to use figures of speech. And Jesus actually uses figurative language often when he teaches his disciples. Jesus loves to teach with parables, which are really extended figures of speech. Jesus calls himself metaphorical names like the vine, the good shepherd, and the gate. But when Jesus uses this type of figurative language with his disciples, it's always when he has plenty of time to fully explain to them what he means by these things. Or when Jesus speaks this way, it's because there are enemies of his standing right nearby his disciples, and he wants to do two things at the same time. He wants to teach the truth to his disciples, but also hide his meaning from his enemies. See, these are appropriate times to use figurative language. When you have time to explain exactly what you mean or when you're trying to mask what you are saying from people who might abuse your speech. The night of Monday, Thursday, however, is not a time for Jesus to use figurative language. Because on that night, Jesus' disciples are in the middle of an all-out spiritual crisis. Satan is trying to sift them like wheat. One of the disciples, St. Peter boasts that he will die before he denies Jesus, but we know his faith is not as secure as he supposes. By the end of this night, Jesus' disciples will hightail it, but it's not going to be to catch up to their Lord and defend him. It's going to be to abandon him and escape danger. And we know that very sadly, by the end of this night, one of Jesus' disciples is going to hang from the end of a noose that he himself tied. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. This is not a time to use figurative language. This is a time for straightforward, unmistakable speech. Also on Monday, Thursday, the clock is ticking down loudly. The clock is ticking down to the moment when Jesus will be nailed to the cross, which is now less than 24 hours away. Jesus knows that he is about to die. So he does what people who are about to die often do. He makes up a will. He leaves what he has to the people that he loves the most. Now, when people write up a will, they do not use figurative language. No will in history has ever said something like this. I leave my chrome chariot to the apple of my eye. No. A will says, I leave my 2019 Buick Lucerne to my son, David. A will would never say, I leave my castle to my better half. No, a will says, 
I leave my house at 358 East Main Street in Pumpkin Junction, Nebraska to my wife, Beatrice. The whole point of a will is to be totally unmistakable so that after you are gone, nobody can contest what you meant to say. Now when Jesus draws up his last will and testament for his disciples, he does not have a house or stables or gold or silver to leave them. So in his will, Jesus leaves them the only thing of value that he has. And it is actually the most valuable thing that there is. It is his own body and blood that the next day he will sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. This is our Savior's last will and testament. This is no time for figurative speech. This is time for straightforward, unmistakable language. And so we know that the bread and wine that we receive in Jesus' supper is exactly what they say they are. As he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, Jesus took the unleavened bread that was always used at the celebration of the Passover. He thanked his heavenly Father for it, and he told his disciples in no uncertain terms, this is my body, which is for you. Now, if Jesus wanted to clarify, if he wanted to say more about that, he had the opportunity on that night. And if God intended us to understand those words with some other meaning, certainly the Holy Spirit would clear that up for us somewhere else in Scripture. But the rest of the Bible takes Jesus' words at face value. Given the gravity of this moment and the frailty of his disciples' faith, Jesus' language is plain and simple. And the account of the Lord's Supper goes on. In the same way after the meal, he took the cup. Now what is in this cup is what's in the cup at every celebration of the Passover. Watered down grape wine. So Jesus does not stop with calling the bread his body. He also says about the contents of the cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so the wine is also our Savior's blood, poured out for them and for us on the very next day. Now after all of that is said, our fallen human minds break in like a rude child with objection after objection to what Jesus says. Ah, how can he give them his body and blood when he's still alive? He hasn't even died yet. And our, our fallen logic wants to break out a ruler and measure Jesus' height and waist and says, well, how does this work for Jesus to give this to his followers? It, it wouldn't even last one single Sunday. Under the guise of civility, even, our minds say, oh, this is disgusting. Do we really have to eat somebody's body and drink his blood? What are we, savages? Like a, a bratty child, our fallen logic and reason needs to be given a timeout and sat down and taught a few lessons. If we want to dismiss what Jesus says here about his supper because it is illogical or distasteful to our minds, we are going to end up dismissing just about everything that God tells us in his book because in the Bible there are a hundred other teachings that are just as distasteful and illogical to our minds. You know, how can Jesus be true God and true man at the same time? How can a virgin conceive and give birth? How can God be three separate, distinct persons and one unified being at the same time? 
How could God hide his power and grace behind something as repulsive as a cross? See, if we want the Holy Spirit to sit at a desk and take notes from our minds, we are going to end up dismissing just about everything in the Bible, including the entire saving gospel. And we will also end up calling our Savior, who speaks unmistakably on this night, a liar. So it is a much wiser idea, spiritually, for us to sit at the feet of the Holy Spirit and let him teach us about the Lord's Supper, to listen to the clear words of our Savior who says, this is my body, which is for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Here our Savior is giving us a gracious invitation to receive the price that he paid, and he is filling us with full confidence that our sins are paid for, and at this banquet, he opens wide for us the door to the heavenly banquet. Martin Luther once said that if we were handing out gold coins at the altar instead, the balconies of churches would collapse from all of the people waiting in line to come to communion. He also said, and keep in mind this is long before political correctness, he said, if we were handing out gold at the altar, men with no arms and legs would swim across rivers to get there. But the truth is that what we receive at the Lord's Supper is more valuable than gold. It is much more valuable than gold. It is the body and blood of our perfect brother that frees us from the punishment and the guilt of sin. And now you'll notice when St. Paul tells us what happened on the night of Monday, Thursday, he doesn't just quote from Matthew chapter 26 or Mark chapter 14 or Luke chapter 22. He doesn't quote from the Gospels because Paul received his instruction on the Lord's Supper straight from the source, straight from Jesus himself. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now Paul was writing this letter a full 30 years after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room. So here he is assuring this Corinthian congregation that was deeply troubled and wayward that the Lord's Supper is still for them to secure their faith, which was also very shaky. So the Lord's Supper, the table remained set for every generation for all of Jesus' people. It wasn't just for the disciples in the upper room. It wasn't just for these Corinthian Christians 30 years later, it is for all of Jesus' people of all time. This gift and all of the blessings that come with it is for us tonight. Sadly, though, it does seem like to a lot of Christians, the Lord's Supper doesn't appear to be all that important of a gift. And maybe they reason, well, I already know from the Bible that God loves me. He tells me in the Bible that he loves me and what he's done for me and his son, and, and shouldn't that be enough? Why do I need more? Well, there's a little streak of truth in that. God's word is always sufficient, and if all God did was tell us in the Bible that he loves us and he saved us in his son, that would certainly be more than enough for us because that's the word of God. But God loves us so much, and he knows us so well, he created us with five senses, and in the Lord's Supper, he's filling all five of our senses at once with the promise of his forgiveness. Our eyes see the bread and wine, 
as our ears hear the words given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then the grace of God touches our lips and enters our mouth. We literally taste and see that the Lord is good. Even your sense of smell gets filled with the assurance of your forgiveness. Now, after a week of struggling against sin, what more intimate way could God use to assure you that what happened on Calvary is still for you today? Because I wonder if sometimes on Sunday morning when we hear the pastor verbally announce, just for our ears, the forgiveness of sins, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I wonder if sometimes there might be some people here thinking to themselves, and even me thinking to myself, ooh, that's nice for everyone else here. If he knew what I got up to this last week, he would not be so eager to forgive my sins. But you see, when Jesus places his body and blood into your mouth personally, you can no longer make any mistake about whose sins he is forgiving. In Jesus' supper, the Son of God says, I mean you personally, individually, when I say, given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And you know that's true because I am placing my body and blood into your mouth personally. So let us embrace with confidence that in his supper, Jesus gives us his own body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we will soon see that this banquet is a preview of the heavenly one. Amen.